Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together. We take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. And many times these readings, in addition to being the uh, mainstay for our Sunday Divine Service. They also drive our devotions during the week, our Wednesday evening worship, and we pray that taking some time to meditate on these readings would be a blessing for you and would uh, be an encouragement for you to hear these readings in the Divine Service on Sunday and Wednesday night. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for All Saints Day, This is technically a minor festival in the church, but this is a minor festival that is so major, the vast majority of Lutheran churches not only take a Sunday to celebrate the Reformation, as we did last week, but they also take the next Sunday to celebrate All Saints Day. And it just so happens that this year, All Saints Day falls on All Saints Day, so that makes it pretty cool as well. The Gospel reading for All Saints Day might uh, might throw you a little bit off guard. We want to talk about that as well. Matthew 5, 1 to 12, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what is oftentimes referred to as the Beatitudes, the Blessed Bees. Vicar, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, there you have the gospel reading for All Saints Day, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Uh, Pastor, it seems a little bit odd on the day when many congregations are thinking about dead people, thinking about the saints who have lived before us. The commemoration of the faithful departed is oftentimes incorporated into the worship on All Saints Day, where we remember the members of the congregation who died in the last 12 months. We are singing hymns about the reality of heaven, about the resurrection of the flesh. Uh, All of these things are happening, and yet we have this gospel reading that talks about life on earth, 
um, help us out with regard to why this particular reading on this particular day? Well, I think the key is the very first part of the uh, gospel lesson where it says, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, uh, what's the very thing that gives us hope for the life that's beyond this world? What's the very thing that promises to create and sustain faith in us? What's the very thing that uh, promises us heaven and eternity and peace and comfort and joy that uh, has assured us of what happens to the loved ones that we have when they die? It's the word of Jesus. And so uh, we have this great opportunity here to hear the word of Jesus that the Holy Spirit uses to work faith within us, that grants us all those great blessings that we are going to focus on in the hymns uh, and in the uh, sermon and in the commemoration of the faithfully departed. It brings us God's word, Jesus' word, that grants us life. It does. It grants us uh, forgiveness, life, and salvation, the life-giving, life-changing word of God. Uh, Sometimes people will talk about the living voice of Christ, the uh, Viva Vox Christi, and uh, I think that is a, uh, a good place for us to start. Do you want to say anything about uh, the location, the uh, isagogics with regard to Matthew 5? Uh, yeah. This is the first of the great discourses of Jesus. It, it is, uh, and it takes place somewhere near Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum is right on the shore of the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, there are many hills that... Um, come up from that area. Remember, the Sea of Galilee is fairly low uh, elevation-wise, and then there's mountains that uh, come up around there. And so there's a traditional site that is located there. You can see it from the city of Capernaum. Is it the exact spot? Uh, The truth is that we don't know exactly where. We just know the general area. Uh, And it could be any one of those hills or mountains that is in that area. Uh, But we know Christ sat down there and used it as a speaking podium in that sense, where people could hear him in the valley below, uh, and so we have a general idea, just not specifics. Okay, so we have Jesus up on this uh, mountainside, and we've got a lot of hymns and spiritual songs that are uh, dedicated to that. Uh, Jesus sat with his disciples, uh, a nice little tune, nice little hymn in our uh, hymnal, LSB, as well. He opened his mouth and taught them. I think that is a great word picture there. And then we have these uh, beatitudes or these blessed bees. Vicar, what can you tell us about the word blessed? Uh, It's repeated nine or ten times in these uh, verses that we have before us. The word blessed in the... In the Greek here, it's not just talking in general. It's talking about the blessed ones. These are the ones who have God's blessing upon them, the poor in spirit, those who mourn. God is not far from all these people. God is there working with his word to bring them blessing, to bring them comfort, to bring them forgiveness and salvation. Pastor, is that is that what we are to think of when we hear these beatitudes, these blessed bees, that uh, God is giving us blessings? Have, have uh, some of the more modern translations changed the word blessed to happy? And uh, you know, you're happy 
if these things happen. And it's uh, kind of a, 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 a happy circumstance. Happy, kind of happy, situation. happy. Right? Yes. Uh, um, uh, how, how, um, how is the person in the pew when they hear this blessed? Is it blessings? Is it happiness? Is it some of that, all of that, more of that? Well, uh, th- the trouble with it just being happy and thinking about it as uh, happy is that that's emotion that which is in within us. It's not uh, actually resultant on something outside of us. And so we have days when we're not happy. Does that mean that these blessings of God are no longer there for us? Does that mean that uh, he has withdrawn his care from us? And the answer is no. And so the word blessed, I think, is a better way of thinking about it because a blessing means God is giving something something to us, that he is bestowing a gift uh, upon us. And so it becomes our identity, not because of our emotional seat, but rather it becomes our identity because of the one who is giving the gift, which is God, which is why it's key that we understand that word that way. Okay. I, I like that where, you know, because the word blessing and blessed is gift talk. And I think that that gets rid of the works righteousness that so often accompanies a surface reading of the Beatitudes. And that works righteousness is from verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who who were before you. How are we to understand this reward talk, Pastor, in light of the fact that blessed blessings gift and the identity, as you brought out, is the exact opposite of works righteousness. Well, I, th- I think we're going to see how it's brought out and what it means, the uh, reward that is waiting us in heaven. We get to the first reading of Revelation, because that gives it very clearly what that reward is. But I, I think it's key here to understand God gives this gift. He has earned it through Jesus, and he bestows it upon us in the word, in the teaching of Jesus as he opened his mouth and taught them. And at the very same time that that reward is given, we can't let it be, you know, like we just talked about, happy because of what it says there at the end in verse 12. Uh, So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What that is, is Jesus is promising you that this world is not going to be rainbows and uh, lifesavers and, uh, you know, whatever. It's not going to be sunshine and unicorns. It's going to be suffering and challenges, just like it was for the prophets whom they beat, whom they threw into pits, whom they killed, whom they persecuted, whom they arrested. Uh, As it happened to those people, so is happening will happen to you, and yet that doesn't take away the blessing that God has given, which is promised for the world that is to come, not for this world. To be persecuted, to be slandered, to be spoken against, and some of the other things that you talked about there, Pastor, those things not only don't make me happy, they don't sound like blessings. And I think we have an opportunity here to not only see how this kind of a text and this particular text connects us to a celebration of all saints day but to help our hearers understand that the life of a christian mirrors in many respects the life of christ is that a fair way to approach these beatitudes 
It absolutely is, and um, in one sense, when we become Christians, we are partakers in the life of Christ, and that is very actually played out in our lives as we face challenges and suffering and persecution. And I think this then, too, since we're talking about All Saints Day, this is why the focus of a Christian funeral while we might talk about the life of the person and the events of their life in some sense, it's really not a celebration of the life in this world, but rather, at the very least, it's a celebration of Christ bringing them to the life that is to come, the place where there is no more sin and suffering, where the sun does not beat down upon us nor any scorching heat, but the Lamb in the midst of the throne leads us to springs of living water and wipes away every tear in our eyes. That should be the focus on what is ahead and what Christ has promised and blessed with Rather than, you know, um, Uncle Bill was a really nice guy. Uh, I, I hate to say it, right? I had an obituary for one of the members I buried who said, you know, he, he bought this dog and he really loved this dog and they were real good pals. Well, that doesn't give us the comfort and peace and, and blessing that God promises. It takes our eyes off of that. And we need to be very careful of that in our funerals. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and the blessings that he freely gives. We're going to look at the individual blessings or blessed bees when we come back from our break. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your... Oh, no. Proclaiming the One. I'm getting all my sir, uh, my programs mixed up here. Maybe that's because I haven't had a day off for a while. Let's fix that, shall we? Let's go shoot some ducks. Let's go kill something or catch something or sleep through something, whatever. Uh, we <laughs> I, need to... We need I hear to, they're stocking sheep in Holmes Lake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's, a, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Uh, Oh, proclaiming the one, All Saints Day. We heard uh, that marvelous, marvelous hymn coming into our program by all your saints in warfare. I suppose this is as good a time as any to uh, put a plug in for one more program, a new program that we're going to be starting here in about a month or five weeks. We're going to uh, have a proclaiming the one majoring in the minors we're going to dedicate an entire year of proclaiming the one to the minor festivals those that we use a lot in the church like all saints day and those that are a little bit more obscure that we celebrate a lot of times on wednesday evenings or maybe every second or third year at good shepherd we don't often have an opportunity to examine those readings as as we would like. And so uh, we're going to be doing an additional program with Proclaiming the One, something for you to look forward to, and we pray that God would richly bless us. Today on this All Saints Day, we're continuing our look 
at Matthew 5, 1 to 12. We set the stage well. We talked about the word blessed or the blessings that are promised from God. And Pastor, I just want to just want to go down the line here and let's just work through as many of these blessed bees as we can. Right off the bat, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about me emptying emptying out my bank account, uh, making out a big check to God. If I become poor, then I am rich. What, what, what is this? No, I mean, uh, the word is definitely poor, that same word as far as financial things, but it's applied to the word spirit as well. In other words, those who have low spirits, maybe we would say, or even those who um, don't I don't know how to say it the right way. It doesn't have to do with finances at all, but the word lacking or not having a great quantity of the spirit. uh, And I think that's a key thing here as well. In other words, God still is going to bless you even when you don't have a full uh, spirit within you. I'm I'm not Um, saying it clearly. How about about this? Um, The... uh the opposite of being haughty or full of yourself would be to be poor in spirit. Is that, is that, uh, am I barking up the right tree here? I think that's a part of it. And I, th- I think the trouble I'm having is to try and bring across the whole idea of what that idea means. Uh, you know, we have a great philosophical term spirit here that, that would have been well known at the time. The, what, the three parts of a person, you know, they have their body, they have their soul, and they have their spirit. And it's that third part, the spirit, that if you're low in, and it does have a certain amount of, you're not haughty, uh, but it also contains even more than that. And bringing across, uh, I'm not a good enough philosopher to do that. Yeah, the uh, um, God of grace and God of glory has a line in there, um, rich in uh, things, but poor in soul. Mm -hmm. Poor in things, but rich. Yeah, and I believe that's it. Uh, Grant is, uh, because it's talking about the things, the stuff that we cling on to. Okay, Uh, they just keep building one right after another. Uh, Verse 4 of Matthew 12, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What, uh, what kind of mourning are we talking about here? Well, there's the really obvious one where you mourn the loss of those people you love that have died. Uh, you also mourn the tragic circumstances that approach people in their life, um, loss of um, you know, wealth, loss of uh, home, loss of uh, health, even, you know, the sense people having cancer or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, um, the political situation, all these things are things that you can mourn. And yet in the face of them, uh, God promises blessing and he uh, cares for them uh, and comforts them, which again will bring us to our uh, first reading where God wipes every tear from our eyes. The uh, comfort that we look for is not always the comfort that God provides, and uh, that's that's the surprise or the aha of the gospel. The next one, five, blessed, verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, I don't know. I look at the headlines today. I look at the evening news. Kind of looks like the meek are getting taken advantage of. The meek are getting pushed around. Uh, the meek are being abused and misused. What is what is Jesus talking about here? Well, I think we all felt uh, a certain amount of meekness 
the last few months as the world has basically shown itself uh, to be out of our control and uh, the meekness that we feel and making a difference or a change in those things, you know, um, so much so we've been so meek that we feel like even wearing something over our face can change the world, which is a little bit... uh, kind of crazy in that regard Very presumptuous. Um, or you know that if we vote for the right person suddenly everything will be better and i think that's just not the case and that's again emphasizing the meekness that we have in this sinful world we're not able to do things to make the world a better place only christ can blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied uh vicar where do i get this menu for uh the righteousness that satisfies when I'm hungry and thirsty? Well, first off, you find out what righteousness is in the Bible. Uh, Scripture devotes a lot of time to expressing what righteousness is, whose it is, and what it looks like. But finally, for us, the Christian, for the believer, righteousness is given by Jesus. Christ's righteousness is put on us in baptism so that whatever acts or whatever we do in attempting to reach up to that full that full mark of righteousness God puts before us we have infinitely more in Jesus because what is his is given to us uh, recently we had a God, uh, an epistle reading pastor from Ephesians 4 that said put off the old man and put on the new man is that hungering and thirsting for righteousness I suppose it could be a part of it in the sense that that happens to us in our baptism. Um, A hunger, a desire for righteousness um, is essentially the voice of faith, which wants to be more like the thing that has faith in, which in this case would be Jesus. And so uh, in that sense, I suppose baptism brings that about. Uh, Being in the Word brings that about, which I think is a key part of this particular text. Uh, Lots of things bring that about. Verse 7 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the merciful, for for they shall receive mercy. Pastor, what is mercy, and what is this verse talking about? Uh, mercy is giving someone something they don't deserve. Uh, and in, in this case, you know, first off, we see that in the person of Jesus himself, who has mercy on us by giving us forgiveness, life, and salvation, which we do not deserve. Uh, and as a result of that being given to us, we also then are merciful to the people around us and share the same things we have received with those around us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, this is the one that damns me, because I am not pure in heart. I never have been pure in heart. Um, I can pretend to be pure in heart. I can sing songs about being pure in heart, but I'm not pure. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. So does that mean, Pastor, I'll never see God? Again, we see this as a gift that God bestows or imputes upon us, um, and he does that through the Word, and the Word takes away our sin. The Word comes to us in water and cleanses and purifies us, washes us and presents us before God in splendor. Uh, The Word comes to us in the body and blood of Christ, where it grants us forgiveness, life, and salvation. We have exactly what the words and promises of God declare. And so when God gives his gift, we are purified and uh, just, 
you know, even the idea of as fire purifies gold, uh, so does the word of God do to us and to our hearts. Verse 9, Vicar says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are we talking about a uh, spiritual peace, peace with God, or are we talking about just like an absence of tension with my neighbor, that kind of peace? Well, it's certainly good for there to be the absence of tension and you know peace on earth and the, the cessation of wars and conflicts is certainly laudable but the peacemakers who are called sons of god are those who go out proclaiming and telling people about the true peace that comes from christ that by his life death and resurrection man and god are at peace with one another and from that peace we can learn and live in peace with one another peace in our relationships comes only from peace with God through the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Verse 10, uh, now, we're, now we're starting to get into some ouchy stuff here, Pastor. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you uh, falsely on my account. How is this a picture of both Christ and every follower of Christ? Well, it's a picture of Christ in the sense that he was first persecuted and he mistreated throughout his ministry. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was falsely accused and found guilt, uh, guilty of those false charges and killed for it. And so it is a picture of Christ, and we follow in that stead, and the same things happen to us in this world. I want to make sure, uh, as Christ emphasizes, we also emphasize the Christian doesn't seek this out for himself. The Christian doesn't create persecution for themselves based on their own actions. It is completely a result of the world going after us. We need to make sure that that's the way we operate also. We can't create false persecution and then say, look how Christian we are. The world will do it for us, and we don't need to do that. We don't, we don't seek it out, um, which is a problem. And the other side of that coin, when it happens, we don't see this as a curse from God. Uh, it's really hard to see persecution as a blessing. And I think sometimes when bad things happen to Christians, good people, they see that as God is against them. God is cursing them. And that flies in the face of what Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Am I right? Exactly. And that is, that's why we encourage one another with these words and the reward that we have that is great in heaven is not something we have earned that too is pure gift it is earned by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of jesus and we're going to see a picture of that reward in our next segment the first reading revelation 7 and i know pastor's chomping at the bit this is one of his favorite sections in all of scripture Proclaiming the One, All Saints Day. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, today we're looking at the readings for All Saints Day. Pastor, maybe you could give us just a word on that word, that name, that descriptor, that noun, saint or saints. Yeah, is this where I say that it's been shamefully stolen by a football team in New Orleans? <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm having a really t- hard time struggling with the NFL this year. That's a whole other program. <laughs> the, the word saints... Um, I mean, it has its source both in the Greek and in the Latin, but it's a a way to talk about those who have faith in Jesus Christ, or in other words, Christians. And it gets applied, um, yes, to Christians living in this world, but then especially so to those saints who have left this world and received that reward that we talked about in the first two segments, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. And so it, it means those who have faith, and both those who have faith here and now, and those who have faith in the world that we don't yet understand but is awaiting us. And so that's kind of the simple way to talk about it. And so while it can refer to people who have died um, and are in heaven, maybe most often it's referred to that way. That's not the only way that it's referred to. So anyone yeah. with faith has been holied by God, and so technically they are a saint. And, and I think it's kind of been confused because the Catholic Church has taken that and run with it, to <clears throat> beatifying people to be saints, and, and for them that means they have a, uh, they've died and people have prayed to them and there's been these miracles that lawyers have gotten together and spent a bunch of money to verify or, or prove have happened. And um, and so they've kind of taken that idea and expanded it beyond what the Scripture teaches. But for the Scriptures, it's basically those who believe. The uh, first reading, the Old Testament reading this Sunday, the first reading is from Revelation 7. We're going to look at verses 9 through 17. Vicar, take it away. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay, I I hope those are familiar words for you. They are uh, beautiful, beautiful words, words that a pastor uses oftentimes when we're visiting the sick, the shut-in, the dying, the uh, grieving. These are uh, great words. We have a great word picture, a great vision here in Revelation chapter 7. Pastor, there's uh, so many things that we could talk about here, and our time is limited, so I want to focus in on a couple of things and and be free to uh, talk about anything else that I may not not specifically ask you here. Uh, John is given this vision. This is a vision of heaven. It's a great multitude, every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages. Um, Anybody that would say that Lutherans believe there are only going to be Lutherans in heaven, this is just a a joke. This is a nonsense. This is nonsense. Or or even that the church is uh, racist and uh, white privilege and things like that. That's, That's absolutely not the case. Not only do we have... You know, people mention the book of Acts, like the Ethiopian eunuch and uh, Philip the Niger, uh, these people who are not white Caucasians. Uh, We also then here have these words that say all tribes, languages, and peoples. That includes Chinese. It includes uh, Japanese. It includes Africans. It includes Europeans. It includes Native Americans. All those people are included in those words. They are clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Is that significant? Uh, It is. It's a reminder of baptism, and the extended part of the reading that goes right before that talks about the ones who are sealed, uh, both upon their foreheads and upon their hearts, Uh, and and that happens in baptism. They receive the sign of the cross. They are marked as belonging to Jesus. It's kind of like you do with your cattle. Uh, You used to brand them. Now you put an ear tag in, and that says, this is my cow. God does that to us, in a sense, in the waters of baptism. And it's worth pointing out here, too, then, That means if these are the ones clothed in white robes through baptism from every nation, tribe, and people, that means John sees me, and John sees you. He's seeing the entirety of the Christian church from all times and places and locations there in heaven. And that's where I think the great comfort and peace is in here, is that we are now uh, one of the characters of the Holy Scriptures. So he is seeing the believer who is alive right now, not only dead people right. who have gone to heaven. That is, uh, that, that is one of those uh, mind-blowing aha moments for a lot of people when they hear that. And I think that's reinforced in our epistle reading in 1 John chapter 3, but I don't want to get ahead of us. I want to I dig in more here to Revelation 7. Um, the, this multitude is crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why is that a big deal, Pastor? Well, again, this is what we've said before with our gospel reading is salvation is a gift. It's something God does for us. He did it in sending Jesus who died and rose again, and he bestows it upon us through the preaching of Jesus and his word. And so it's not 
our job to save ourselves or to earn salvation. It belongs to God and um, specifically to the Lamb. And when we're talking about the Lamb in the book of Revelation, we're seeing a Lamb who has been slain. And and that's a, a code word then for Jesus who died and rose again and uh, sits on the throne of God as God also. And and so, again, we're learning the Trinity, we're learning uh, justification, we're learning all sorts of great things in this picture Jesus is painting. Okay, so then in response to that, the angels, the elders, the four living creatures fall down on their faces before the throne, worship God, say amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. That's the, uh, uh, this is the feast that we sing in our uh, divine service one and two. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I think that's a very, very key question with regard to who these people are and where did they come from? And notice that God sends the angel to ask John the question because it's important that we know the identity of these people and to to know that it's us that John is seeing. And so God's not just letting it hang out there and not answering it. He wants to make sure it's extra clear when John writes this down. And then John says, uh, you know, uh, reveal it to me, tell me. And uh, then uh, he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That's that tabernacle word. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Gosh, sounds like we just had something about hunger and thirst in the Beatitudes. Uh, The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, Pastor, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Well, if the great tribulation is at the end of the world... And this word picture includes me because I'm a baptized child of God. How do I put all of this together in time and space? Because it seems like this is talking about future events, nothing that would be relevant to me right here and now. Well, in a sense, for us, it is talking about future events because this is uh, what's ahead for us. And yet God doesn't exist in time. Uh, You know, any physicist worth their salt will tell you that uh, there's a space-time continuum and and, uh, time is just a part of the fabric of our cosmos, Uh, all of which we would say then as a theologian, God has created. And so therefore, it exists within him and he exists outside of it as well. And so um, God is at all time and in all places and able to see all those things and interact with them and knows all these things and can bring across the ideas of what has not yet happened. And so it is the future for us, and yet God can tell us about it because he knows it and sees it and is at it as well right now. And so it's a now, not yet thing for us. We are citizens of heaven. We just don't fully realize it yet. We do have salvation. We just aren't experiencing it fully yet. We experience it 
in the small part when we come to church on Sunday morning, uh, and, and even more clearly when we're actually there in person and not just watching it on a screen. And so that's that's a key thing here to understand. This is the feast of victory for our God. Acknowledges the fact that we are participating right here and right now in that heavenly feast with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. That grand mystery is before us. Before we leave this text, Vicar, uh, we got a lot of talk here about the lamb, the lamb, the lamb in the midst of the of the throne. The lamb will be their shepherd. Uh, all this lamb talk. Um, who's the lamb? Who are we talking about here? The lamb is Jesus Christ. Now, there was another John called John the Baptist who said and pointed with his finger, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this that we've, uh, this beautiful vision that we've just kind of skimmed through in Revelation 7, all of this vision is possible only because God sends his son, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus completes his mission through his life, death, and resurrection. He ascends to the right hand of God, and Revelation 7 comes after Revelation 4 and 5, where we see God sitting on the throne, Revelation 4. We see Jesus sitting on the throne, the lamb who was slain but now is alive, Revelation 5. And all of this beautiful picture comes together right here for us, for all the saints who from their labors rest. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. By all your saints in warfare. We sing that hymn a lot at Good Shepherd. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We uh, oftentimes on our Wednesday evening service and occasionally on Sunday as well, we take some time and we celebrate, honor, and observe the minor festivals in the church. There's a specific verse in that hymn for many, if not most, of the minor festivals. So if you come to church on Wednesday nights or listen, you, you're you familiar with that hymn. It's a great hymn, and it teaches us um, the proper way to honor and remember the saints. We're going to be starting a new program next year, a Proclaiming the One bonus feature, uh, majoring in the minors. We're going to be looking at a lot of these minor festivals. And our initial program will be talking about how Lutherans believe, teach, and confess with regard to the saints. Uh, we've got a lot in our confessional writings. God's Word talks a lot about a proper way to honor and remember the saints without 
turning them into false idols. And one of the key scripture passages for that is the epistle reading that we have before us now as we look at the readings for All Saints Day, 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Vicar, take it away. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Oh, man, there is so much packed into these three tiny little verses here, Pastor. Um, See what kind of love that the Father has given to us. Now, I don't have my Greek New Testament in in front of me. It seems to me that that word uh, given, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, is uh, kind of a... Uh, maybe a weak or a wimpy translation is is it given or is it lavished uh, the word in the Greek here is dedokin which is given but I think what's important about this word is that it is again in the uh, perfect tense and we've talked about that before in uh, other episodes which means it's a past action with present abiding results something that has been given in the past and is still ours and I'd say the the word that maybe the vicar, uh, you know, as he reads it, it's hard to emphasize, but the word is to us, right? He's given it to us. Uh, we are his children. Um, that's really the key here because um, it's not someone else that John is talking about. It's not you know, St. Jerome or St. Augustine or some really holy guy that we think, you know, is more Christian than we are. He uses the word us. God has given all these gifts to us. He has blessed us as we had in our gospel lesson. He has taken us out of the great tribulation. We're the ones pictured in heaven. And I think that's the real key here as John is writing this is the focus is on us. Good. Good. I appreciate that. Um, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. So when John talks about love, agape, this is uh, John 3.16, we always think of the cross. So is this verse here, 1 John 3 verse 1, is this talking about God's love with regard to salvation accomplished? Or is this talking about God's love with regard to salvation delivered? We're talking past action with abiding results. Uh, Is it Good Friday and Easter, or is it the day I'm baptized? Yes, and I think that's, again... So it's both. Yep. It's both salvation accomplished and salvation delivered. All of that is wrapped up in that one verse, uh, 1 John 3, verse 1. Yeah, and uh, why is that important for us to to remember or distinguish? 
Well, it's important for us to take the whole thing together because it's not like we can travel back to the cross and like dip our fingers in the blood uh, flowing from Christ's side and therefore we're saved. Uh, God takes that gift and he brings it forward through word. Uh, as we talked about, Jesus opened his mouth and spoke to them saying uh, he does it through baptism, as we talked about, uh, clothed in the white robe that covers all of our sin. Uh, it, it does it in the Lord's Supper where we eat the very body and blood of the Lamb of God who was slain and rose again. We are given these things in word and sacrament here and now in the place that we are, 8,000 miles from Jerusalem, 2,000 years after Jesus was born. We receive the same gifts that the Christians, the us, uh, received throughout the entire history of God's work of salvation, even the Old Testament times where they were in Babylon, which is another 1,000 miles away from here. God works these things. He gives those gifts through word and sacrament to all his people in all times and places. And now all of this is connected to our identity. We're still in verse 1 of 1 John uh, chapter 3. We have the love of the Father that has been given to us, and this love is both salvation accomplished, Good Friday and Easter, Salvation delivered in word and sacrament, specifically in the waters of holy baptism. And because of this, I have a new identity. What is this new identity that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us, Vicar, toward the end of verse 1, 1 John chapter 3? What are we? Who are we? We are children of God. It's like the that great hymn says, you know, God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. And if we are children with God of God, that means we are heirs with Christ and all that he has. That is, a, that is a wonderful word picture that God gives us, and that is a great connection to that hymn. God's own child, I gladly say it. Why? I am baptized into Christ. We have this new identity. It has been given to us, earned by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, freely distributed to us as God delivers the deliverance in word and sacrament. But we have a problem because this new identity puts us at war. What is this conflict or this war that is uh, introduced now in verse 2, Pastor? Well, the way that uh, John writes it is he says, the world does not know us. And it, and we really don't know it that well either. We, we look at each other and we talk past each other and they don't understand us. And as a result, they persecute us, they arrest us, they beat us as they did to Paul uh, and others. They, you know, John is writing this. John was arrested and uh, uh, supposedly tra tradition holds that he was boiled in hot oil. It didn't kill him, but it couldn't have been good for him. Um, and so the world persecutes us because it doesn't understand that we are not living for this world, but rather for the world that is yet to come. I think this is playing out right now in our society where, as Christians, we're really not that nervous about what's going on. I mean, we, we're, are we concerned about the disease? Yes. Do we take precautions? Yes. Uh, are we concerned about the election? Yes. Are we... Uh, uh, 
terrified the world's going to come to an end tomorrow? Well, if it does, we get to be with Jesus. If I get coronavirus and die, I get to be with Jesus. If uh, the political party that I don't uh, support wins the election and kills me as a result, I get to be with Jesus. And so the world doesn't understand that way of thinking. And the world doesn't also understand that people could really be concerned about something like the sanctity of human life, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of family, because these things are clearly taught in the in the Word of God, and these things are, in many cases, despised by the world. And so we are at odds, we are at war, and it shouldn't surprise us, because uh, the world does not recognize us. But we are God's children now. This is not just some future thing when we die. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What is this now, not yet thing that God is teaching us here in 1 John chapter 3, Pastor? Well, again, he's talking about we. We are God's children. That means us. Uh, and now, at this time, because we've received God's gifts and heard his word, we are God's children. And so we don't need to sweat the small stuff, I, I guess maybe it'd be a simple way to say it. We don't need to worry about the things the world throws at us or that it is confused by us. We're going to be taken care of because fathers take care of their children, and God is our father. And in a sense, then, too, Jesus is our brother, uh, and so we're all just one big happy family that uh, is under the protection of Jesus. When he appears, we shall be like him. Vicar, when is Jesus going to appear? Jesus is going to appear on the last day. I mean, it says in the scripture, you know, there'll be a sound like thunder the trumpets will be blaring the son of man will descend from heaven with his angels you're not gonna miss it everyone is going to see it and when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him face to face and as we await christ's return we hope everyone who thus hopes in him jesus purifies himself as he is pure what is this purification pastor that john is teaching us here well, again, this is God's work, um, and and so it does say purifies himself, but what it means is uh, when we receive the gifts that God gives, we are cleansed by God, we're taken care of by God, and uh, I think, you know, to go back just before where it says, um, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we should be like him. The word there is phanareo, uh, which means... <clears throat> revelation kind of talk. And so where's the place where God reveals himself to us? It's in the word, it's in the sacraments, and when we receive God in those things, we receive Jesus in those things, we're made like him in that sense, purified, righteous, holy uh, Christians. First John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. You are safe and secure in the blood of Jesus. While you live, and when you die. Vicar, bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day, would you please? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you knit together your faithful people of all times and places into one holy communion, the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us so to follow your blessed saints and all virtuous and godly living that, together with them, 
we may come to the unspeakable joys you have prepared for those who love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Thank you for tuning in once again to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, please. And however you do it, online, hopefully in person, please, just come to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>